I'm Bernie Crane. I'm John Crane. You're listening to the Jazz Session with Jason Crane, our dad. Welcome to the Jazz Session. I'm Jason Crane. The Jazz Session is sponsored by Matt Rock, Murat Verdi, and Nicholas Payton. This is episode 368. Thanks to the Respect Sextet for the theme music to this show. You'll find them online at respectsextet.com, and please buy their albums. Thanks to Dave Rabel, who designed the show's logo. He's online at twitter.com slash Rabel V-R-A-B-E-L. There's a widget for this show designed by All About Jazz. If you go to allaboutjazz.com and just type in Jazz Session Widget into the search box, it will give you a little bit of code that you can put on your site that will show the latest episode of the Jazz Session. If you need help installing it, let me know, jason at thejazzsession.com. And if you install the widget, also let me know at that same email address because I'll feature you in my newsletter, which goes out each week. You can get that newsletter by going to thejazzsession.com, and at the top of the page, just click on Mailing List. You'll get an email from me each week at the end of the week telling you who was on the show that week with direct links to listen and giving you some other links of interest and never any spam, unless you consider the other things I tell you about spam, which is fair enough. Please join the show. It's super, super easy. You just go to thejazzsession.com slash join, and you can very quickly... Become a member for as little as $10 a month. There are also levels at $25 and $50 a month. Or if you'd like to pay all in one yearly sum, you can do that for $110, $250, or $500 a year. At the top levels, $50 a month or $500 a year, you'll be named as a sponsor on every episode of the show, just like Matt Rock, Murat Verdi, and Nicholas Payton are. Please review the show in iTunes. It's very easy. Just go to the iTunes store, type in Jazz Session, and you can either rate the show up to five stars or type in a text review or both, and that just helps the show go up in the rankings and it makes it more likely that folks who are looking for a show like this will find it. You can follow me on Twitter at Jason D. Crane, and you can also go to jasoncrane.org to find my poetry and my book of poems, Unexpected Sunlight. My guest today is the pianist Dan Cray. He's got a new album called Meridies, and we'll learn about that title and about his music and a whole lot more after this sample from the record. Thank you. 
My guest is Dan Cray. He's got a new record uh, on Origin called Meridies, and it's great to have you on the show. Thanks for being here. Thanks, Jason. Happy to be here. So, you know, whenever there's like a weird word in the first three or four words of the show, it's always good to start there, and uh, <laughs> we, we can all start on the same page in terms of what language we're speaking. Sure. So that's a, a Latin word, right? It's a Latin word, yes. Uh, and, uh, and explain what it means and why it's there. It means midday, um, and I was reading something or, or listening to a, a, a video, maybe it was a, a Joseph Campbell lecture or something, and he was talking about... Um, this William Butler Yeats uh, book that he did called A Vision, which is sort of this strange, mystical kind of thing way out. You know, it was pretty far out there for the time, and he got a lot of flack for it. But I, And he was talking about this circle of life, and and it. I, I remember he said that, you know, the 35th year is sort of the apex of, of creativity, and you know, I was kind of going through the process of putting the record together and everything, and I'm, I'm 35, and it's sort of, it's like, wow, I got to check this out. So I went back and and looked at that, and and I don't know, I just I, I was I I took Latin in high school, and I was always kind of a Latin geek, and you know, I kind of put the put the two together and figured mid midday was kind of a good a good title for the record, but but the the name has been pretty confusing. Uh, <laughs> even my mom yesterday, just talking to her, she's like. It's Meredith's, right? <laughs> so, I'm like, no, mom. I hope Yates was wrong because I'm 38. Yeah, so I, if I've already passed my apex. You're I'm done. You're done. Yeah, yeah, no. Um, it's a long. Slow. I'm, I'm hoping he's wrong too because I hope there's there's more to it <laughs> than this. To but yeah. um, <laughs> just totally bizarrely, you are the second person I've interviewed in the jazz dorms who has talked about Yates really on this show yeah the other was the saxophonist Ocean Jewel who also lives in okay. the jazz dorms and who's the inside of whose CD has a Yates poem oh and weird we talked a lot about Yates also okay um, so I, I wonder do you uh, this record in many ways represents kind of a departure from what you had been doing um, right at, at least compositionally speaking do you feel like now at the point you're at in your career and your life you are you feeling the need to make a different kind of statement, uh, musically speaking? Well, yeah, it kind of tied in with, you know, I moved here from Chicago about a year and a half ago, and, you know, I'd been doing a lot of trio projects there. I had a group together for about 10 years. Um, so just all together with the move, and, you know, it was time to kind of do something different. So, you know, I, I met Noah, and, you know, we, we hit it off, and, and uh, you know, had him over to the place. He remember we did a few sessions, and he just you know, killed the music. I was like, you know, cause I was originally, I was going to, I was like, Oh, I guess I'll do another trio album, you know? And, and then I was like, I got to do something different. This is, it's time. It's time for something new. So, so yeah, I'm excited about it. And it's definitely, you know, something a little bit different for me. I'll mention that that's uh, Noah Preminger. Who's also been on the show. You can find him in the archives. Um, had you been writing all along and just decided to make that the focus of this record, or was composition something that you were adding to your kind of toolkit at that? Yeah, I I've been writing stuff. I never really liked much of what I wrote. I think my previous records used to have maybe one one or two compositions at most. Um, so it wasn't really a focus. We were, we were more kind of into rearranging standards or rearranging pop tunes and and putting our own twist on it. That was kind of our mo. So you know, again, this is something a little bit new. Where I was like try to make it a little more of a personal statement overall writing uh writing my own stuff making that more of a focus 
this time. So uh, before we go on, I said to you a few minutes ago that it's cool when the shows sound like New York, but this might sound a little more like the Detail in the 500, so maybe we will shut the windows. <laughs> oh, sure, sure. <laughs> Which is a shame because it's so gorgeous out. But between the uh, the gaggles of school children who are walking through Prospect Park and the yes, it's, the trucks. It's it's maybe sometimes a little much. it's nice to have the playground over there, and sometimes <laughs> sometimes it, it isn't. I it imagine, really yeah. isn't. Yeah, I'm already totally comfortable. I just put my feet on your couch. I, I've been doing this now for years and years. I don't think I've ever come into an artist's home and put my feet on their couch. I don't know what it is. Your house is all you're it's, very it's welcome. It's pretty comfortable. I think this couch it. might have been here. Many years before I got here, uh, when I moved in, uh, the guy, you know, it doesn't fit through the door. Apparently, <laughs> the deal was, you know, he bought the couch. It's like a really expensive couch, apparently, or was. I don't, you know, but, you know, the deal was they would deliver it and set it up. And so he was like, I can give it to you for $50, but I knew he couldn't get the thing out the door. So I was like, eh, I don't know if I really want it. He's like, what if I just left it there? I was like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> so, You're a shrewd negotiator. So now I have I have a big couch, but I'm dreading moving out of here because then I'm going to have to try and pull the same thing on the next. Yeah, couch. exactly. <laughs> so talk about um, moving to New York. What spurred it? I mean, it's not an uncommon thing for someone who does what you do for a living. But why did you decide to come? You know, I had kind of been in Chicago my whole life. I grew up there. Uh, I went to school there, and then started my professional career there. Um, you know, New York was always kind of hanging over the equation you know do you move do you not and things you know things are really good in chicago it's a great place to work great place to live um you know i had enough creative projects going on where i was didn't feel like i was missing too much um but after a while it just was just obvious i had if i wanted to challenge myself you know and move i had to move here and and you know take that step and has moving here kind of borne out the idea of challenging yourself has it has it it's led definitely to been hope? a challenge yeah and i you know i hear you hear that from everyone it's yeah. it's nothing new but yeah i mean it's it's starting over and and being a little bit older it puts me in kind of an interesting spot to to start over you know it's it's like a lot of guys are younger you know they don't have quite the maybe they don't really have much cynicism at this point well, some of them do but you know and then but a lot of the older cats are you know already established and so you know trying to pin them down to do stuff or you know it's just a different thing so you're kind of in, caught in between you know and people come out of school with their cliques of of you know of people they've been playing with sure and so it's 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 trying to navigate all of that is kind of an interesting journey can you talk about how you've been doing that how, how did you make connections how did you start to get your foot in the door oh uh, you know I, I well i did i did a master's at nyu that was oh, right, you know I, I did that kind of I figured as long as I'm moving here, you know, I, I'd res- been resisting going back to school. Just, but it sort of worked out. It was, it was a nice program. It was quick, a year and a half, and uh, you know, to be able to do that, and um, you know, met some people there. Um, just going out a lot, meeting people at different sessions, and and since I moved to the jazz dorm, uh, that that which has been, you know, it's been really nice to have a piano here and a place to play. Um, cause you know, the jam session thing gets old pretty sure. quick. Uh, you know, it, it can either be really, really good or, you know, sometimes soul destroyingly bad, you know, <laughs> you wait around, play a tune, it's awful. And then you wait two hours to take the train back to Brooklyn and then, you know, wake up and to do it again or, you know, whatever. Yeah. But it's been so much nicer just to 
say, hey, you know, I got some drums, got a piano, come over and play, can actually make music, and you know, that's been that's been so much better than living where I couldn't play. Yeah. yeah. I want to go back to uh, to writing for this record, which I, was what I was asking you about when I got distracted. So you had mentioned that you know you'd been kind of writing all along, but when it came time, did you decide, okay, I'm going to do a record mostly of my own compositions, and then just decide to kind of buckle down and actually write a record's worth of compositions? How did that work? Yeah, sort of. I, I think it was you know when, once I moved to New York and you know I start, took some composition with Gil Goldstein and you know and it was just kind of like I got a get more into the into the writing thing yeah. so you know i figured if a, if a, it was mostly towards you know i had to do like a recital for the master's degree and i figured well i gotta write a lot of stuff for that and at the same time you know eventually i was yeah, figured if it was good enough i'd record it and you know it all kind of worked out and so we we kind of did the recital last spring and went in the studio for one day and that's the record so it was kind of yeah, it was sort of a project. I didn't know if, you know, I, I kind of went into it with the attitude of, you know, maybe it'll turn out, you know, going in the studio for one day can be a little bit hit or miss, you know. But it, it you know, it, it ended up working out and I felt good about it and decided to, to put it out. The album feels to me, it's very melodic all the way through and it feels to me like it kind of has one foot in kind of a more modern harmonic place but it also has one foot pretty firmly i think to my ear in a very kind of traditional place which i like particularly on the ballads for example the first ballad on the record is which is gorgeous and i mean sounds amazing Noah sounds incredible too um but it just feels like it would have been at home you know kind of in the on a 50s recording but then there's sure. tunes like uh which i just spa- there's one with winter in the title which i just uh, winter rose yes yeah. winter rose couldn't remember the second word um which has this beautiful kind of piano vamp thing at the end that sounds very modern and very now mm-hmm. it, it, do you kind of feel like you straddle those worlds or is it, maybe it's just my perception no that's that's a good point yeah i mean that's i think that's kind of where i'm at right now is sort of i don't you know i'm still you know, I love swinging. I love, I like that stuff, but I'm, you know, trying to move into some other stuff too. Yeah. Um, so hopefully it kind of all fits together. I, 
I've always been of the mind, you know, uh, you know, growing up in Chicago or starting your career there, you know, playing with a lot of the older cats there, you really had to know tunes. You had to know your stuff. You had to know, you know, you had to be able to hear stuff. And, you know, the tradition was very strong playing with some of these guys that, you know, have been there for so many years and they'll, they'll vibe you, you know, big time. I got vibe hardcore, you know, right at, right after college. And so it really made me get, get into the tradition and getting all that stuff together. So it, it is a really big part of what I do. You know, I, I'm not really ready to just sort of throw all that away. So I'm trying to make it where something organically grows out of that. Sure. It's sort of my own voice. So. Will you talk about some of the folks you played with in Chicago? I think the, that gig I'm talking about, just for example, um, you know, Eddie DeHaas was the bass player. Um, you know, he played with Miles and you know a lot of people. Um, but you know he he was changing the harmonies and doing all this stuff, looking over at me, <laughs> you know, giving me these looks, and I was like, I don't know what's going on right now, and you know, because yeah, the school thing's a little bit different, you know, you, you, it's a different sort of way of, of learning stuff, but being out there on the bandstand with someone who's has all this experience and is throwing all this stuff at you, you know, they don't, they don't really teach you that in school. So it was, right. it was a big wake up call, got me into, you know, listening and you know, it, just being a jazz musician in, in a different way, I sure. guess. But he's one guy that sort of kicked my ass a little bit. Um, you know, Eric Schneider, he played with Count Basie, another guy. Um, you know, these guys just know thousands of tunes and, you know, they expect you to sort of, you know, be able to hear them or just be able to kind of do it in this, in the moment, which, you know, I, I don't find that so much in New York. Everyone's kind of doing their own thing here, it seems. So, you know, maybe, I'm sure those gigs are around, but, you know, 
just initial impressions that seems to be more of the vibe here yeah yeah i, I wanted i wondered about that um you know like in terms of making a, a record as we were talking about of original music it, did you feel like there's kind of a demand that that's what's just expected of everyone who comes to new york also it seems that way or just in general i think it's expected that you you know that you put that you put out your own thing you know yeah. do your own do your own thing which is cool you know but it, you know i think the other stuff's important too yeah you know, to kind of have a base for all that but i think i've i've got that you know, i've done that now so now it's time to time to move on we mentioned uh, noah preminger will you talk about who else is on this record with you uh yeah mark ferber is the drummer um and clark summers uh is the bass player and clark and i have been playing together for probably 15 years he was in my trio in chicago and he moved to new york um maybe two years before i did and was here for a while um he's he's currently touring with kurt elling uh so don't get to see him too much and and he actually moved out of new york again uh, and Mark, Clark and Mark had worked together before, uh, and he said, oh man, you gotta, you gotta check out Ferber, you know, he'd be perfect for your stuff, and, and he was, so. What about him is a good fit? What makes him a good fit for what you do? Um, he's just, he's really sensitive, well, he's, he's kind of a, a, a genius in the fact that he, I, I don't think he made one mistake from the time he first saw the music through the recording. <laughs> Well, that's obnoxious. I, yeah, it's super obnoxious. <laughs> super obnoxious. Um, you know, it's it's sort of ridiculous. Uh, I really love his sound, too. He's just got a great sound. Mm. Um, you know, we do a couple trio tunes on there. Um, but, you know, the, it was always really good having him over here. I can always tell, you know, if I, can, if I can't hear myself, you know, in this room with, you know, unmiked piano... Then you know the drums are too loud. You know, Mark right. he has such a good touch and and good sound that everything just felt great. Like it could have been recorded right here, you know, without any mixing. It was like, wow, this is like he just found the perfect mix for the room, and you know, the, it's pretty awesome. And will you talk about uh, when you heard Noah? What made you think that he would be a good fit for your music? Uh, just when, you know, having him over here, and you know, we played. I think we played that ballad, and you know, I love the way he, I love the way he plays ballads. You know, he's got like this old school sort of vibe. You know, like this, yeah. like living. Like he's lived all this. You know, he's got that kind <laughs> of thing, and but he's got this other thing. You know, he can he can swing. He can you know he's he's pretty versatile. So, you know, just when we were playing over here duo, I think everything was a really nice flow, and I thought, man. This would be a perfect fit for the record. Will you talk about what attracted you to this music in the first place? To to being a jazz musician? To being a jazz musician. Um, you know, I grew up with it in the house, I guess. My mom was, uh, she, she got me started at piano when I was four. Suzuki piano. Uh, did that for a while, but we, she always had these old records. She had one of those huge record things like it was almost a piece of furniture oh right you know it's probably the size of this couch where you could like lift up the top and you lift a up the top there's a record player and yep. then the other side there's places for the records and yep. I, I don't know what it was called but it was my grandparents know. had the exact same thing right <laughs> so you know and and all the records in there were either classical records or jazz records um you know, a lot of earl garner oscar peterson sinatra so i would always put those records on and you know i always loved jazz started taking lessons um maybe when i was 12 or something because you know, classical piano gets you know gets a little bit old i kind of wanted to do some other stuff and and 
I think the other thing is if you want to play in band in school, as a piano player, you got to be in the jazz band. So that was part of it too. And did you, uh, can you talk about how you started to think, oh, maybe this is what I'll actually do? Uh, Well, it's probably uh, when I was in high school, I I did a couple uh, summers at the, uh, at the summer Institute at Northwestern Mm. university. Uh, and, I uh, met a guy named Mike Coker, a really great piano player. who was teaching there. Uh, and, and you know, so he, he became sort of a mentor for me. And, and, you know, Northwestern had a really nice program, too, uh, where, you know, you could do that double degree thing, a five-year thing in music. And, you know, I did, like, a liberal arts degree. Um, so I can't say right away I was like, oh, I'm going to be a musician. But I was like, well, I can do this. I can study with Mike. I can, you know, see how it goes and see if this is what I want to do and have some time to figure it all out. So and that's kind of how it worked out. But the but the the thing in high school was, was amazing to be able to go, go away for five weeks and just do music. And that's what really got me into jazz more, yeah. I think, yeah. Can you say more about Mike Coker and his effect on you as a player and writer? And actually, I, I until I started re- reading about you, I had never heard his name. So maybe you can. Talk oh, okay, to sure. Too. He's yeah. he's kind of like a, you know, he was a great piano player in Chicago. He, he would, you know, he's one of the top call guys there. Um, you know, there's a club there called the Jazz Showcase that you know, would always have touring artists, you know, James Moody, people like that. But Mike would always play with Moody and uh, Benny Golson and. Mm. Uh, I saw him with Dewey Redmond. You know, he was kind of like one of the top call guys, and they would request him. You know, uh, so sort of a guy who never—he he didn't really, you know, maybe a lot of guys outside of Chicago didn't know who he was, but people who came into Chicago wanted to play with him. I mean, he was really sensitive player, uh, great organ player too. Um, but you know, just I always loved the way he he, he played. He's great touch, great lines, and and really a great teacher, a great person. Uh, great way of, of communicating and teaching. So he's one of those guys. Everyone you like him within you know about a minute of meeting him. Right. He's, he's that guy. Yeah, he's a, he's out in Arizona now. He's he's the head of the uh, of the program at Arizona State. Oh, great. 
And can you talk about uh, what in your writing or playing now you can kind of trace back to him? Are there specific things that you see in your writing or playing? Uh, probably just, you know, feel-wise. I mean, mm. you know, just swing feel. I mean, it's kind of where, you know, getting that and then just getting the bebop vocabulary together, too. You know, we, that's a lot of what we did. And I think that's kind of underpins a lot of what I do, too, is, is that, you know, the bebop kind of... Uh, feel and and lines and stuff like that so that's a lot of what what we did in college was getting you know getting the right the right feel and you know and and just getting through chord changes i think he's the guy that kind of got me on the on that path Does the bebop language still feel like a kind of a living language, a, a, a current language to you when you use it? I, I think so. I mean, it, it's sort of part of my teaching philosophy, too, is, is just getting that stuff together, you know. And then what I found is, is, you know, I used to just kind of run those lines, you know, very, you know, when I was in college, you know, it's kind of just pretty squarely. I wasn't trying to do my own thing consciously. Sure. Uh, which I, you know, I think once you get into that thing where you're consciously trying to be unique or consciously trying to do your own thing is when you're not, you know, you end up sounding exactly like Herbie or exactly like, you know, right. Whatever. But, um, but that's one thing I, I picked up from Mike was just do the work, you know, learn how these guys got around the chord changes. And then what, what happened was, you know, all of a sudden organically, I think other stuff started happening out of that you know without any kind of conscious effort which i think is was my goal all along was to kind of make it you know to you to sort of organically get to where i'm I'm sounding like myself as opposed to trying to superimpose that so i think that's that's kind of the benefit of that i, I wouldn't say i you know oh i'm playing bebop now or you know this is the bebop language it's just like this is how i play and i i can you know i can when i listen to myself i hear that you know, I hear that influence, but, you know, I think it's, it's definitely, you know, I think it's some kind of an organic growth. Do you remember moments when you were listening to, you know, playbacks of yourself and saying, oh, that really sounds like me? Yeah, yeah, a little bit, you know, yeah, I, I, I you know, it, sometimes I, I'm, I'm pretty hard on listening to myself. I don't sure. like to do it. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, there's been a few times where I'm like, oh, yeah, that does sound like me, you know. It always interests me that idea of, like, I mean, you just described it as you know, uh, almost some sort of, not crossover, but uh, some organic progression from the language that everyone's using right. to a sound that is more identifiably you. And I always find it interesting how, like, how do you know, or when do you know, or when did you first? I'm not sure. I mean, I I think you know, but there's been things where I'd be like, or when I listen to someone else, I'm like, oh, he kind of sounds like. Like I like him. He sounds. He's kind of coming out of the same thing I am. I hear 
bits of me and and someone else too sure. it's it's weird like that happened with bruce barth a couple of weeks ago it's like man he's kind of kind of coming out of the same of the same thing yeah it was it was sort of like whoa you know <laughs> and you mentioned that you also teach yeah and yeah uh when you're instructing other students are you does it kind of hold up a mirror to what you yourself are doing or give you a chance to reflect definitely, on how you definitely approach the or if i'm you know it's hard it's hard to teach jazz it's hard to teach excuse me more respect for you know my teachers sure for sure just teaching feel teaching you know a lot of that just i think has to come from the student too like they have to get in there and listen to those records and try to you know be you know uh i don't know hum- a little humble i guess before all that stuff and try to you know get in there is listening to records uh, an important part of your teaching practice yeah yeah you know listening to you know listening to stuff um you know basically for feel i think that's you know that's that's one thing that's really hard to teach yeah i'm always curious about you know the kind of the farther and farther we get in time from most of the classic recordings that people are always giving to students i i mean what what do you find is the impact on students of recordings that you loved? And now it's however many, you know, 15 or 20 years on, even since you first heard them and maybe 60 years since a lot of them were recorded, mm-hmm. how, how relevant or how kind of impactful are they in the lives of the, the people that you work? That's hard to say. It's, it's a mixed bag. Some, some people just don't get it. Don't want to listen to it. You know, they, they just want the most current stuff. And yeah, so it's, 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 it's frustrating sometimes to try and get through to them. Um, but you know what can you say if they don't like it they don't like it and so but i I don't know it's hard to it's hard you know i try to make that argument that well like if you want to you know i I think it was the piano player james williams told me this once he said if you want to sound like herbie hancock you need to you need to check out the guys he was listening to not him you know or you have to you know spend as much time as you spend on listening to Herbie should spend double the amount of time listening to Winton Kelly, you know, those guys, the guys he was coming out of, you know, and go back like that. And that really struck a chord with me because mm-hmm. it sort of tied in with, you know, it's like, okay, you know, this someone sort of validating my approach. Um, but yeah, you have to try to make that argument to kids and a lot of times they're not really receptive to it. Yeah. <laughs> you know, they're impatient, I guess. And that's one thing you have to kind of deal with is they want to, now now everything has to be you know i want to sound like him i gotta just you know this is all i'm gonna listen to Can you talk about other projects that you're involved in or other things that are coming up for you? Uh, unfortunately, this is going to 
air just slightly after the CD release gig for uh, for this album, which is tomorrow, as we're speaking. Right, so, yeah. right. Uh, well, I'll be doing this with the same group in Chicago uh, in June. Oh, fantastic. Do you know the date specifically? Or? Yeah, June, um, June 15th and 16th, that weekend. It's going to be at Andy's Jazz Club. Okay. Uh, and then we're doing, I think, the Thursday before that out in Galesburg, uh, part of the Knox College uh, series oh, out great. there. So, um, going out with Noah and Clark is going to be in Chicago and uh, got a, a good young drummer we're, we're meeting up with too, Matt Carroll. Well, that's great. And here in New York, which is sadly already past as people are listening to this, but you have some different folks with you too, including some pretty spectacular folks. Yes, yes, tomorrow night. Um, but yeah, with uh, with uh, Matt Wilson is 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 playing drums, which I'm I'm psyched about. I've always been a big fan of Matt's, and uh, and John Tate, uh, another really great young bassist um, from Chicago, actually from Galesburg, I think, or from oh, wow, okay. from out there, which is where Matt Wilson's from too. Right. So they have sort of a connection. I thought it would be John and I have worked together a lot in Chicago. Um, he was in my group when Clark left. Mm. So we we have a history together. He actually lives downstairs now. Oh no, kidding! Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, uh, but he's here. He's he's studying at Juilliard. Um, great guy. So I figured I'd have the the Illinois rhythm section. Nice you know, Western Illinois. The Carl Sandburg All Stars or whatever. Yes. Yes. <laughs> Yeah, so I'm, I'm <laughs> psyched great. about it. Yeah, had you played with Matt before? Or have you played with Matt? No, before no. This will be uh, be a uh, first time. So, so talk about that. I mean, your this is music that has a very defined character. It's music you've written. There's recorded examples of it, and then tomorrow you're going to bring in totally new elements. How much? How much will you try to manage or control the situation, and how much will you just let it? Well, happen? I guess that's the fun of it, right? That's why we play jazz, and you know, we'll see what happens. I, yeah, I. I I doubt it's going to be a disaster with with the people involved. Yeah, you know, so you have kind of a baseline. It's going to be it's going to be really good, and it could be spectacular. Right. You the know? worst so, it's going to be is really good. Right? Yeah, I think it'll. You know, I think yeah, Matt's a pro, and you know, he's got the music and, and the record, and you know, and yeah, I'm, I'm really curious to see how it turns out. Yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, it's, it must be uh, exciting as the composer of the music to not. I mean, to really be stepping into a situation where you're not exactly sure yes. what's going to happen. Yes, it's, you know, little moments of panic and, you know, but, <laughs> but, <laughs> but, you know, what's, what's the worst that can happen? I mean, right. it's, you know, it could be, could be great. I'm really excited to see what those guys bring to the music. Yeah. Uh, can you talk about when you recorded the record, how much specific instruction you gave, how much it was important to you to, again, kind of create create or manage the the environment so to speak. i kind of let the i kind of let the guys sort of sort of come up with their own thing i mean just a few you know arrangement things and uh but you know i kind of let mark do his own thing so we'll kind of come up with a with a thing on this and you know so we played through it and like nah not, maybe not that but oh yeah that's that's cool you know just you know i like to i like to just let people be themselves hmm. you know i wasn't i wasn't really dictatorial at all for the most part and and it came up with some cool stuff like the like march of the archetypes i think that you know we were trying to come up with a, an intro some sort of vamp and i was like why don't we just do a drum solo you know and, and ferber came up with this kind of march thing that was killing
so you know that's one example the end of winter rose like you were saying i mean i think you know the beat he came up with there sort of makes that whole thing happen it, yeah it gives it this really you know pretty cool send-off so so yeah it was it was you know i like to let people you know instead of me coming in and you know uh bashing people over the head with something you know like just let them sort of organically do it I want to ask you, kind of as we as we draw to a close, we were talking earlier about moving to New York, and I mean, I I also am not originally from here, and there's a there's a part of moving to New York that's really exciting and expansive and allows you to you know anything you can think of, anyone you could think of to play with are, is here. Mm-hmm. There's a piece of it though that it is often such a challenge just to be here. I mean, to actually like pay rent and buy food and all those kinds of things. Cause it's so expensive here. Right. But I sometimes wonder about the artistic decision to come here. You know, everyone does it almost like it's what you have to do. Mm-hmm. But now that you're here, do you, have you had a chance to kind of assess and say, well, yes, there's enough artistic reward for me that it's worth, you know, kind of hitting the reset button to some degree. And yeah, right now there is. Yeah. yeah. Right now I'm still in the, yeah, I'm gonna, you know, I'm doing this, and this is what's happening. Um, but you know, I don't know if I if I'd want to live here forever. I mean, it's sort of, I think it's something I needed to do and and wanted to do. But you know, I think there's the more I'm here, I see that there's there's a lot of value elsewhere. Too, yeah, and there's a lot to be said for you know for Chicago for for a lot of places. You know, but I, you you kind of have to come here and get that perspective though, and and to be okay with with everything but I, I could see i can see myself in a lot of places now sure but but i'm really psyched to be here and and kind of in the midst of everything too so is there a different there used to be regional sounds everywhere you know it was a philly sound and a detroit sound and all that kind of thing is mm-hmm. there do you notice a, a, a new york sound compared to a chicago sound or a style of approaching the music well there's just there's more variety here i mean chicago you know for the most part was always kind of a hard swinging town mm. you know very you know, if you couldn't play a blues and you couldn't, you know, you couldn't swing, forget it, like get off the bandstand. <laughs> that was, that was the vibe, you know? You, so you grew up with that. I don't, you know, it's, it's, everything's sort of you know, moving away from that now as, as, you know, the older generation passes. And, uh, so I don't know at this point, you know, but obviously New York has much more, I think more of a modern, a modern thing, you know, obviously yeah. there's, there's just more, you know, it's more combustible, more stuff going on here. <laughs> My guest is Dan Craze, pianist and composer. His new CD on Origin is called Meridies, and uh, it's been such a pleasure to meet you and, and to hear the music. Thanks a lot for coming. Thanks, on the Jason. Show. Thanks for having me.
That's music from Dan Cray and his new album, Meridies. I'm Jason Crane. This is The Jazz Session, sponsored by Matt Rock, Monat Verdi, and Nicholas Payton. Please do become a member at thejazzsession.com slash join, and then get out there and support live jazz whenever and wherever you can. And come back next time for another conversation about jazz on The Jazz Session. <laughs>